the All About Audiology Podcast, Season 2. I'm your host, Dr. Lilach Saperstein, and I'm very excited that you're back for more. Season 2 is going to be full of lots of exciting topics, and we're starting off the season with an episode on Baja, Bone Anchored Hearing Aids. If you've never heard of this term, then you'll learn in this episode what a Baja is, who a Baja is for, and a bit about the process of getting a Baja and, and using a Baja. And I'll also be including an incredible interview with a woman that I really admire. Her name is Abby Peretz, and she is a mom of five. One of her sons has a Baja. And we're going to talk a little bit about the journey and the experience that she had from her perspective as the mother. So I think many of you will resonate with that. I know we also have many listeners to the podcast who are students of audiology or speech pathology. I love connecting with students who are so enthusiastic and so inspired to learn. For the two major groups of listeners, which are parents of children on a hearing journey and professionals who are eager to learn and to work with you, you know, there's an amazing amount of dialogue going on at the All About Audiology Facebook group. So please do come over and join us for extended discussion. And that's what I love about the podcast. It's not just me talking to you guys, but it's all of us talking to each other and learning together. So let's get started with Baja. What is the difference between a regular hearing aid, a traditional acoustic hearing aid, and the Baja hearing aid? Well, the acoustic hearing aid, the regular hearing aid you see, the BTE with a mold in the ear and and the hearing aid sitting at the top of the ear, that hearing aid is taking in sounds from the environment with the microphone, processing them in the small computer chip that's programmed in the hearing aid, programmed specifically for their hearing loss, and then the output what's sent out of the hearing aid is also acoustic. That means it's also sound waves. They're amplified and they're processed in a way that's going to help a person with a hearing loss, but it is the same acoustic input, acoustic output. Sound waves come in, sound waves come out. Whereas with the Baja, a bone anchored hearing aid, the input is the same. The input is acoustic waves, right? Sound waves in the environment, sounds in our environment are going in through the microphone and it gets processed in the same kind of programming that goes into programming a hearing aid. How much gain, how much louder should things be made for the person's hearing loss? But the output is not sent as sound waves, it's sent as vibrations that are going directly to the cochlea by way of the skull. Within the skull is the bones of the cochlea containing the cochlea. That's how the sounds are able to stimulate the cochlea directly, skipping the outer ear, skipping the middle ear. And if there's a conductive hearing loss where the problem is in the outer ear or in the middle ear, then a Baja might be an option. If you remember from episode five, we talked about the different kinds of hearing loss. And one of the kinds of hearing loss that can be is a conductive hearing loss. And this can be microtia or anosia, where the outer ear isn't formed or open in the typical way. It might be any kind of chronic middle ear infections or any issue with the little bones in the ears. There could be otosclerosis or cholesteatoma. These are all different conditions that affect the middle ear space, the middle ear bones, making a conductive hearing loss. The hearing inside of the cochlea can be functioning properly, but sounds are not getting conducted in properly from the outer and middle ear. When this is the case, a traditional hearing aid can be programmed to bring in a lot of sound, to amplify sounds, 
in such a way that it overcomes the conductive hearing loss. It's making sounds louder just to get them to the cochlea, taking over the job of the conductive portion of our hearing from the outer and middle ear. That's what a traditional hearing aid would be doing. There are times when a traditional hearing aid would not be able to be used or isn't appropriate to be used. Let's say the ear doesn't have an opening, or let's say there isn't a pinna, the outside part of our ear, for a hearing aid to sit upon or if there's some kind of medical complication like a cholesteatoma where the ear needs to stay open and vented and plugging the ear with a hearing aid would not be good for the medical condition of the ear to keep it healthy and aerated. So in any of these cases, we can bypass the outer and middle ear and just skip the whole area of the conductive portion and stimulate the cochlea directly with vibrations to the skull, vibrations to the mastoid. Right behind our ear, we have a bony part of our skull. You can feel it with your fingers kind of sticking out on the bottom. And that's called the mastoid process of the temporal bone. It's part of your skull. And when we vibrate that part of the skull, it also vibrates the cochlea. How can the Baja stay connected to the mastoid and to the skull? The Baja device can be anchored into the mastoid bone with a surgical process, either with an abutment, a small titanium piece, and that way the device, the bone anchored hearing aid, could connect to that abutment or by having a magnet surgically implanted under the skin of the mastoid so that the bone anchored hearing aid connects across the skin transcutaneously to the magnet and in that way be able to transfer vibrations into the mastoid and into the cochlea. Before one of these surgical options can be done, we do have patients do a trial with the soft band Baja. A tight headband is used and it needs to be tight because the contact with the bone anchored hearing aid device and the mastoid needs to be close and very tight. So it might not be as comfortable, but it will give an approximation of how it is to use the Baja. And for children, we don't do that surgery before at least age five because the skull and the bones are not yet solidified and hardened. We want to allow the skull to grow to maturity before any surgical process. So children under five would use the soft band Baja and as they grow, then they may go and have the abutment put in or the magnet put in so that the Baja can provide as much of the vibrational energy, as much of the gain and help as it could. So that's just a general overview of the Baja and I do encourage you to come over to the Facebook group with any questions, join All About Audiology podcast on Facebook where we'll continue the conversation. Now it's time for our interview with Abby Peretz. I hope you enjoy our conversation and I can't wait to hear what you think. Here it is. Welcome, Abby, to the All About Audiology podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Why don't we start by having you tell us about yourself? Sure. So I'm Abby. I have five children, ages nine and a half through 19 and a half, which is kind of astounding because in my own head, I'm still 19. So I don't know quite how that happened. Um, my first two babies uh, were totally typical little girls. And I really felt like I knew what the heck I was doing as a mom. And then I had my third kid, um, which threw everything I thought I knew into question. When he was born, there was clearly something wrong. Nobody could tell me what exactly was wrong. It took a long time. It took two years until we had a diagnosis of a rare syndrome 
called Soto syndrome that causes physical overgrowth and developmental disability. Um, and so that has kind of been a big thing in our lives for the last 15 years. Um, and then my fourth baby, once again, typical kid, um, everything was cool. And then my fifth kid was born. And at that point, we already had the diagnosis for my third kid. So I was a little more like cautious and worried. And I did lots of testing during that pregnancy. And everything came back completely, completely normal. And then my kid was born. And um, I remember looking at the midwife's face and I was like, you're not telling me something. And she was like, yeah. And, <laughs> and then she kind of pulled the little hat off his head and showed me that we were looking at, I didn't know this at the time, but we were looking at my crochet on the right side. Um, so my crochet means little ear, literally, right? And on my son's right side, his ear is not really a fully developed external ear. It's just kind of a little bit of a nub. There's no um, ear canal. Um, and we didn't know what that meant in those first moments after birth. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about what were your first thoughts? What was going through your head? You right. just had a baby. So obviously you're like tired. <laughs> Indeed. So I, I will tell you, um, our primary concern was, what does this mean? Like, is this literally just some sort of physical thing? Are there bigger implications? That was a big question. And remember, we already had this kid with special needs. And because we had a kid with significant special needs, we had done a crazy amount of testing during this pregnancy because I was like, I don't know how much else we can handle in our family. So, um, so that was, there, there was definitely a little bit of that shock factor, but the primary concern was what does this mean? So I won't go into the details on this part, but like I had three babies who were born at home with midwives, long story, whatever. This kid was one of them. Um, and so the midwife, given our history and just like the level of tension in the room, she was like, let's maybe take the baby to the hospital to be checked out. And our midwife um, had privileges. She also works as an L&D nurse and she had privileges at a local hospital. So she and my husband went to the hospital with the baby and said, we will update you in the next you know, hour what's going on. Basically, when they got to the hospital, and again, I wasn't there, so this is all secondhand, right? But basically, the primary concern was, has the baby peed? Because again, this is one of those things I did not know at that time, but ears and kidneys develop the same week in pregnancy. So when you have an issue with ears, the first thing they do is look at the kidneys. If we had had the baby in the hospital, they probably would have taken him for that renal ultrasound in that first 24 hours. But because we were coming in from home, they said, has the baby peed? Yes. Great. Schedule a renal ultrasound through your pediatrician sometime next week. It's not urgent. Like, it's important, but you don't have to do it right now. Go home, reunite the baby with his mother, and we will deal with this later. So that was a big thing right there. Like they said, you don't have to worry about that. His kidneys are cl clearly functional. We should look at them and make sure that they are properly developed. Um, and they said, yeah. It's true, microtia can be indicative of some larger syndrome. It could be indicative of some larger facial structural malformation. We don't know that right now, and there's nothing we would do right now to test for that. Like, you're going to have to kind of wait and see. Um, so within an hour and a half, my husband and the midwife were back home with the baby. Baby nursed beautifully. Everything seemed cool. 
We had people over the next day who happened to be pediatric specialists in various areas. And they looked at the baby and said, yep, that's a baby. And yep, that's my crochet. And we can't tell you anything more than that. The overarching feeling was, okay, this happened. We had the renal ultrasound a couple of days later. That came back totally normal. Okay, maybe we'll start to see some facial development issues. Maybe we'll see some issues that indicate some larger syndrome. We're not seeing that now, so let's just move forward. And I had, like I said, this other kid with special needs, which are pretty significant special needs. And again, I didn't know as much then as I know now. Like now I can tell you that my third child, Adi is his name, um, is on the autism spectrum, is developmentally disabled, not just developmentally delayed, right? Like this is something that's going to be part of his life for his whole life. There are some pretty significant issues there. So Amit, my youngest with the ear, we were like, dude, it's an ear. Like, I don't have time for this. <laughs> so, so this is not going to be a thing that we think about. And literally for years, I would say probably up till about six months ago, when people asked me, I was like, yeah, I have a kid with special needs. And my oldest recently was like, you have two kids with special needs. And the day she said it, I thought she was just trying to be mean to her sister. And I was like, that's so rude. She's like, what? Amit has a hearing disability. And I was like, oh, right. <laughs> does that yes, count? Yeah. I have two children with special needs. Correct. Okay. So, wow. so when he was first born, you had the renal ultrasound, like that first week or two weeks, did anyone bring up newborn hearing screening? Did they screen his other ear? What was going on with yes. that? So yes, that was the other thing. Um, they told us, uh, you know, you want to, you definitely want to check the hearing in the good ear so that you have a sense of what's happening. We were very fortunate in that in our neighborhood was a woman who is an audiologist um, and uh, the neighborhood where we lived at the time, we called her and she said, come to my clinic. Like, don't even schedule through the hospital. It could take time. It could be more complicated. Just come directly to my private clinic. Let's get this so that you can sleep well at night. Um, and I, I have to be very honest, Amit is nine and a half, so I don't remember all the details of what that felt like going in for that screening um, and um, all the details of the testing that we, I literally do not remember. Um, I know that he passed and <laughs> they were like, all right, you know, you should do this on an annual basis. You want to make sure that there's nothing compromising the hearing in the good ear, like kids get ear infections and that can affect their hearing. And when you have two ears, you can kind of compensate, but when you only have one, you want to protect that. So, so that was the big thing that they talked to us about. It's very typical not to remember all the details when there's <laughs> other things going on, plus four older kids at home. You know, it's not like sure. your whole focus was on um, what was going on. But my question is, do you remember if they ever did bone testing at that time, ABR, bone ABR, on the side with microtia to see like the cochlear function behind? So what they were able to tell us back then was that the inner ear functioned normally what they did okay. to determine that i don't know but i know that those were the words that were used the inner ear functions normally obviously the external ear is not normal and we can't tell you all the details about the middle ear until we do a ct and we're not doing that on a newborn because there's no reason to okay no we definitely got information and i'm pretty sure um that in that first, I want to say six months, um, we did, you know, some research and by research, I mean, Google searches, um, on what, you know, like, what are we, what are we supposed to do here? Are we supposed to build an ear? Are we supposed like, what are, we, and everything that we read said, 
nobody's going to talk to you until your kid is at least five years old, like about any kind of surgery. Um, and if you're interested in reconstructive surgery, we wait until around age eight, because by around that time, the ear has reached about 90% of its adult size. And I do remember that we learned that there were like different options. There was like more cosmetic stuff and there was trying to open up that ear canal and restore um, binaural hearing, hearing on both sides. Um, but I also, everything that I read about that, sort I mean, when they tell you that step one, open the child's rib cage and take out cartilage, I was like, nope, we're done. That's not happening. <laughs> and, the, you know, it's a series of several surgeries, right? And nobody can promise you what the cosmetic results will look like or that they will be able to restore function. Um, and there are a lot of risks involved with that kind of surgery. One of the big risks... And again, my information is like nine years old, so things may have changed. But um, one of the big risks that I remember reading about was if you get a skin graft with hair cells and you start getting these ingrown hairs on the inside, that can be a huge issue. And I just remember reading this and I was like, you know what? If this kid ultimately wants this, he can deal with that when he's older and it doesn't have to be like my agony. So, um, and then really from day one, our well, maybe not from day one, but let's say from like around day 35, right? Like our attitude was, yeah, we really don't have time for this. Um, so you're perfect. God made you this way. We love you. You're awesome. And we're moving on. Um, so literally our um, philosophy, response, strategy, whatever you want to call it was we're not dealing with this because we have other stuff that we need to deal with that seems a lot more important to us right now. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that was ultimately, you know, great or terrible or what I have felt both ways at different times and as different things have happened in my son's life, but that's the reality. Like we literally did not pay attention to it for many years. Okay. And then what did you start to see as he was developing language and speech were those targets? So he hit everything. Absolutely. Um, and my kids are all bilingual. They've all grown up in a bilingual household. So um, some of them did start to speak uh, a little bit later. Certainly Adi, my special needs kid, really spoke very, very late. Um, and, but even he today is fluent in two languages. Amit was able to develop both languages with no no noticeable delays. Certainly, he was never in speech therapy. Mm -hmm. um, and it was only when he was in kindergarten that one day I got this fairly desperate phone call from the school where he would be attending first grade. And they're like, we need you in a meeting like in 20 minutes to sign paperwork. And I was like, what? And they're like, well, you know, because Amit's going to need um, some special services next year and we need you to come and sign off on that. And I was like, I, I, what? Do you know something that I don't know? Like, what are you talking about? And they're like, he has a hearing disability, right? And I was like, sure. Okay. <laughs> so, at, like literally we had not thought about it. Suddenly the kindergarten had transferred paperwork to the elementary school. The elementary school had things they needed to put in place. And we were kind of of the philosophy that, Certainly, it's never hurt a child to have extra services, 
Um, sure, why not? I remember showing up to this meeting, signing the papers, and I was like, I, I don't have a lot of time for this today. Can we talk about this in detail some other time? Like, you pulled me out of what I was doing. Um, wow. Just, I think a lot of people are crying right now if they hear this and are saying, do you know how hard I have to work and advocate and fight with the district and those <laughs> And you're like, oh, thanks, services, thank you. <laughs> right, so, I mean, I should preface this by saying, like, I live in Israel, and it's different from in the United States, and there are, part of the reason that we live in Israel, um, part of the one factor that we took into account when we moved to Israel from the United States is that the United States is not a country that focuses on socialist ideals. It's not a country that's set up to take care of the weaker parts of society. And Israel, because of its history and whatever, is a country that was founded on socialist ideals and is certainly more of a socialist democracy than a federal republic. Um, and is set up to take care of the weaker parts of society. So I was certainly not thinking about a meet when I made those decisions. I was much more thinking in terms of a D, who, when we lived in the United States, was in the public school system, and I did have to work very hard and beg and cry and throw things to get very basic services, and I was very unhappy with them. Um, and one of the decisions, you know, one of the factors that we looked at when making our decision was it'll be easier for us to get what he needs in Israel. Um, and that worked out like on 57 different levels. And we can talk more about like the craziness that my own family has been through in the last few years. Um, worked out well for us. And so yeah, so I totally understand what it is to have to go crazy for services. In Israel, that has not been our experience. So if that's an option for anyone, you know, think about it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe move to a different country. <laughs> <laughs> so until that time, so he was like, what? Five ish, mm -hmm. going into six, five, right? five. Yes. Yeah. So, um, until that time, had you had you done any additional audiologic testing? Were anyone you talked to you about any amplification or anything else? Really, it was you know once once a year, mm -hmm. mostly when we remembered, we would have a hearing test um, on the good ear, and they would you know okay, great, looks good. Um, once in a while, we that test would fall out when he had a cold as children do. And they'd be like, yeah, a little compromised on this side. Let's repeat in six to eight weeks. We'd repeat. They'd be like, yeah, normal, totally fine. The big thing that I remember doing was telling every year his um, nursery teachers and his kindergarten teacher, when you seat them in a circle, be sure that he's seated on the correct side so that he can hear you. Mm -hmm. So I, like I would, I would tell the teacher about it in that first couple of days of school, like so that she didn't notice it and think something weird had happened to the kid. But so many people literally never noticed the physical piece. Like to me, it was this thing that was very visible and obvious. And to the rest of the world, it was not. Um, and that's a good reminder. I think like no one is ever paying as much attention to us as we're paying to ourselves um, and our children. So um, I mean, I remember having conversations with people and we'll talk a little bit more about this in a few minutes, but when we did ultimately have this surgery done for Amit's hearing aid, I remember telling him, yeah, he's going to have the surgery because he doesn't have an ear on his right side. And people were like, yes, he does. And I'm like, I'm going to go with no. Um, and, and people were like, well, I've never seen that. And I'm like, well, then you weren't looking. What can I tell you? So, you know, we'd be, and, and we didn't want to say like, I mean, stand here and let people stare at the side of your head. So like every so often, if you were sleeping on the, you know, correct side, I'd take a picture and I'd show it to people. I'd be like, here, there's no ear here. And they'd be like, 
I never saw that. And I'm like, okay, well, that's your issue, not mine. So Wow. So is his hair, is his hair covering it a little? Or it's just no. right, right there in the open? <laughs> it's just, I mean, literally people people are not looking to catch you out in, in many, many ways. Like if you yeah. spill something on your shirt, people are not looking for something that you spilled on your shirt. If you have an ear that looks weird, people are not looking for that. Like that's not the assumption that people walk in the door with like, oh, something must be wrong with you. Let me find out what it is. I don't know. We miss a lot. We're not that observant. Yeah. Um, so that's, I think it's important to keep that in mind. Okay. So then uh, coming into kindergarten, what were the services that they offered? Um, so in kindergarten, I really don't think there was anything. Or it was, it was when we, yeah, when we switched to elementary school. So then they told us that he was entitled to um, a certain number of hours per week that they kind of tagged as like supplementary hearing hours. This was with a hearing specialist who would pull him out of the classroom for, I feel like it's twice a week. She pulls him out for an hour each time. Um, so, and they do different things with that. So some of it is she might review with him something that's being done in the classroom just to make sure that he heard and understood everything. Sometimes it's working on um, social skills and, well, what do you say if somebody says something like this to you and what do you do? How do you respond in this situation kind of thing? So just different, um, different kinds of support with this woman. And we've been very lucky because the woman who was assigned to Amit is incredible and has worked with him since first grade. And he's now um, coming to the end of his fourth grade year. So for four years, she's been working with him and she's been just, she's an incredible person. Um, we got very lucky there and, and she really cares um, about Amit and his, his whole experience as a child, as a person. It's not just about hearing, it's really about his whole experience as a child. And then also the law provides in Israel, and I don't know how this is in other countries, but doesn't just provide, the law requires that his classroom be acoustically treated classroom. Um, so, and his school has, like he switched classrooms within the school and, and the school has moved locations since he's enrolled and each year they've had to make sure that he has that acoustically treated classroom with a built-in sound system. Has that been perfect? No, like every time he switched classrooms, there's been like, oh, we have to install the sound system and we have to train the teachers on how to use the headset, but it's always happened. Um, and when he was in a classroom where the sound system wasn't in place properly, um, there were certainly accommodations made. He's always had preferential seating. And I've always, you know, in that first week of school, made his teachers aware, like, if he's not looking up when you say something, like if he bent down to get something out of his backpack, he may have missed what you said. Like when you're, when there's no um, sound system in place, you have to be aware. And before he had the hearing aid, like you have to be aware of that. You, again, I don't like making excuses for my kids because every kid in my house, for example, has responsibilities and chores. And I don't believe that like, okay, you have special needs. So you don't ever have to do anything and you can be a pain in the butt. And you like, that's not us. Um, <laughs> we're tough here. Um, so I, like, I don't want, I don't want teachers to say, oh, well, Amit clearly didn't hear when I announced the homework, so that's why he didn't do it. No, Amit didn't do the homework because he's freaking lazy and he hates doing homework. Um, so, <laughs> but if you said take out your math book and he was bent over doing something else and he comes out and he, like, he's literally the only kid who doesn't have a math book and he has no idea what's going on, there's an excellent chance he didn't hear you say that. And so when you notice those kinds of things at home, because you're so aware and because you're paying attention, then you realize what strategies you need to implement. 
or was it more formal? Like did someone actually sit with you or did you read articles to find out what do I need to do? How do I deal with this? I probably read some articles uh, because that's who I am as a person. Like I tend to research things, but it was also um, just, I mean, there was a fair amount of common sense in my mind involved in it. Like if Amit was doing something, and again, because I had a different kid with special needs, with different special needs, but like I had already learned this whole, I need you to be looking at me when I'm talking to you. I need to, and I also um, over the years developed that speech pattern of many mothers of typical children, but certainly mothers of children with any kind of um, special needs where you say everything like three times, three different ways, like, okay, I need you to set the table now. It's time to set the table. I need you to stop what you're doing and set the table, like literally three times, right? So with Amit, I understood fairly early on that I needed to make sure he was actually focused on what I was saying because he could very easily miss it otherwise. Um, and especially if Amit does something like put on headphones while using an iPad, for example, he's just not going to hear anything else that's happening. So I have to get in his line of vision. I have to make a sign at him to like take off the headphones, look at me, now I'm speaking. Um, and I also do a thing with my kids, and this is with all of my kids, regardless of their issues or <clears throat> non-issues. Um, what did I say? Say it back to me. Great. Okay. Very impressive. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> the reason I'm asking is because we actually do training on these kinds of communication strategies mm -hmm. where you have to be very clear and then rephrase what you said. Mm -hmm. So instead of like in addition to saying set the table three times, you'll also maybe say you need to take out a tablecloth and, right. and plates. So then you have now, oh yeah, what is set the table meaning? And maybe that exact phrase wasn't heard correctly or understood correctly. So you rephrase. Right. In addition, you'll want to say it again in half a minute because now it's already half a minute later. Who knows where the short-term memory has gone? <laughs> Correct. No, absolutely. I also found um, more with my other son with Adi. Um, so I have a tendency to be extremely sarcastic and um, very dry and you know, so like if my kids say it, like, oh, you know, if their father's like, ask your mother if she, if she needs any help. And they'll be like, oh, do you need any help? Like my stock response is no, obviously I don't need any help. I'm totally fine doing all of those things. If I say that to a D, he's like, great. Mommy said she didn't need any help. <laughs> so, yeah. so I have learned over the years um, that if I actually want some of my kids to do things, I need to be less sarcastic and a little more straightforward. So there is a learning curve involved. It does not come naturally to me. So, so yeah, so there's a lot of work that has to be done on ourselves as well. So back to uh, his timeline here. At what point did you go for the, hear about the Baja? Was that on your radar at all? It was definitely on our radar and it was something that we were thinking about. Um, I think even when he was in nursery, we were thinking about it. But life throws all kinds of things at you. And for us, the big thing that life threw at us was um, my middle kid, Adi, who has all the luck, uh, was diagnosed with leukemia. So this was 2013. A, a meet would have been, oh man, um, I guess a meet would have been around two and two and a little bit, three maybe. Um, and Adi was diagnosed with leukemia, which threw the entire family into chaos. Um, we were living in Israel and... Like I said, it worked out well for us because all of Adi's treatment for the entire time that he was um, in treatment for cancer, we didn't pay anything for it. That was all covered. So extensive 
hospital stays, um, emergency surgeries for all kinds of complications that came up from the treatment of the leukemia. Um, lots of stuff happened, but I mean, to be very honest, we completely stopped thinking about a meat hearing loss Bajas, like that was just not even, there was no room. There was no room emotionally, there was no room in my brain, like it just was not gonna happen. Mm -hmm. um, so all of that got tabled. Adi got better and life slowly went back to something resembling normal. And Amit by this time was in elementary school, I feel like maybe around second grade. And that's when we really started like, we started looking into, okay, well, how would we get this Baja? Like, how does that happen? Um, and we went down a little bit of a, an incorrect path. Like we were told, oh, you wanna work with this particular hospital and these particular doctors. And we did that for a couple of months with like long wait times in between appointments, which is the downside of socialized medicine. Um, when it's not an emergency situation, you can wind up waiting a long time but you don't pay. So, you know, six of one, half a dozen of the other. At some point, somebody said to us, this is not the way you want to be doing this. Like you actually want to be working with this other team and this other hospital. And this is the process that we have in place. Started over. But once we got on the correct path, it was very straightforward. We did a one week trial with a soft band, maybe two weeks. I don't remember. Um, he saw the difference in what he was hearing. It was interesting to see how he responded to that and then we started on the timeline to get approved for the surgery and to move forward with getting the Baja and really like I said once we were on the correct path um, from the administrative side it was very straightforward there was a timeline involved there was waiting involved but it was it was very straightforward and we were able to have um, Amit's hearing support system. Like, you know, they, the teacher spoke with him about it. They spoke with the class about it. Everybody knew that he was going to be missing a couple of days of school. We talked to him about, you know, they're going to shave part of your hair. And then, you know, there's going to be this surgery and you're, there's going to be a scar afterwards and what that's going to feel like and how you're not going to run around like a crazy person for a couple of weeks right afterwards. And, um, <laughs> So, you know, we had time to prepare him um, and we had guidance on how to do that. And we made it to the day of the surgery. It was done in a children's hospital, which is um, great because it's not just a pediatric ward in a regular hospital. It's a whole children's hospital environment. So that was very helpful. Um, so that meant that, like, for example, they're, very, they're set up that a parent goes into the OR with the child until the child is under anesthesia. Um, just little things that make the whole situation more comfortable. And then the other piece of it was we had spent two and a half years in this hospital with a very sick child. Um, and so we knew everybody and everything, and we were very familiar with processes. So like we're in the recovery room waiting for our kid to wake up from surgery. My husband and I both have like laptops and we're doing stuff like, because this was like, this was, normal surgery with a healthy child. We were not anticipating any kind of weird outcome. We knew how to look at the monitors and understand his BP is fine. You know, these, all these stats are normal. Like we were totally unfazed and all the other people in the recovery room are like, who are the parents who don't love their child? <laughs> <laughs> and then literally every um, nurse, doctor, anesthesiologist who would walk into the recovery room would see us do a double take because they thought, you know, our kid had relapsed or so. And then they would figure out it's a different kid. We were clearly very calm. They were like, oh, okay. So it was, it was just 
bizarre experience, like this alternate universe. I don't know. Wow. Um, yeah. Uh, he was overnight in the hospital one night and then we were discharged. Um, and he came home and I remember his friends came over to visit after school and he was like, so can I go out and play with them? We were like, no, no. Children who have been discharged from the hospital this morning after surgery do not go out to play in the afternoon. Like, one more day, you can sit at home and be a little bit bored. Um, and then the next day, he was like, I'm going back to school. And we were like, okay. And this, this was probably one of the most interesting things about Amit. He went to school that day. He came home that afternoon. And he's telling me this story. And he's chuckling the whole time. He's like, oh, my God, these kids were, like, totally terrified of me today. I was like, wait, What? He's like, yeah, it was like these little kids, like first grade. He's like, you know, because I had surgery and I had this scar and he's showing me. I'm like, yes, I'm familiar. I'm aware. So he's like, well, they saw it and they didn't know what it was. So they thought it was really scary and that I was a monster. So they were running away from me. And I was like, oh my God, well, how did that make you feel? And he was like, I don't care. Those are kids who don't know me. I don't care what they think. And I was like, wait, really? <laughs> okay. So, like, um, how did I raise such a resilient kid? I know I'm like oh my god maybe I did one thing right in all these years of screwing things up right so that was that was a pretty cool moment right there um yeah um it was it's probably I think it's about a month after the surgery that they set you up with the actual hearing aid mm-hmm. um I find that so interesting because it's it's so much of how the stories that we put on the kids right. so about us like yes. a kid comes and tells you they called you a monster and you already have six reactions right. to what that means and the kid is like whatever <laughs> exactly amazing exactly. and also about his ear like you said earlier even even the way his ear looked mm-hmm. no, no one's having a stare at it <laughs> no one no one you know i'm in a facebook group for parents of kids with microtia and for a lot of families, I understand that this is literally the, the most significant and difficult thing that's happened to them as a family. Um, but what, from my viewpoint, they're making it into something that it doesn't need to be. I mean, the posts I read are things like, how will we ever leave the house? How will our child ever walk out in public? And I, like, I read these posts and I'm like, um, you'll walk out of the house. That's it. Like, there's nothing more to it than that. Um, so I get that I'm not a very empathetic person, (laughs) Um, but I also think that we don't have to make these things more than they are. So that's perspective right there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, that, yeah, wasn't easy to come by, but I can, I can see how it's treating you well. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I come by this stuff, you know, very honestly, and I have put in my hours of sobbing and screaming and railing at the universe. Right. But like, yeah, um, I, I do have perspective. So there is that. Okay. So Amit got his hearing aid. Finally, the Baha's turn, you know, activated, programmed. And mm-hmm. so tell me about what is the response for him in school at home? What's that like for him? Right. So the first couple of days he's like, why are you all yelling all the time? And I'm like, we're not, <laughs> you're just hearing us now. Um, and in the beginning, he did not like wearing it at all. And it turned out, it took us time to figure some of these pieces out. But it's like, one, the external magnet was too strong. So it was really giving him these headaches. We didn't realize that for a couple of months. Um, 
once we switched out the magnet for the proper one, that really helped. And then it was probably about a year after he'd had the hearing aid that we went in for a follow-up hearing test on both sides. So to see the good ear and then to see what gains he had with the hearing aid on the right ear. And the technician who did the test said um, that like the, all of these lower registers he's not hearing, you need to go and have this reprogrammed. So we went back to have it reprogrammed and it turns out, I guess, I don't know, maybe that somebody had told us and we didn't hear it or maybe somebody hadn't given us the proper guidance, but there's settings for we've just come out of surgery and we're just starting with a hearing aid and then there's settings for a couple of months later and we had never done that. So it was, you know, it was a year later until we fixed that piece. Um, and that's been, um, so that was fairly recent. And, but now I feel like, one, he wears the hearing aid much more naturally, let's say. Like, for a, when, certainly when it had the magnet that was too strong, if he wasn't in school, that thing was off. Like, he would walk in the door and immediately pull it off. But it turns out because there was a lot of pain involved that nobody quite was picking up on. Once we dealt with that issue, you know, he would wear it all day. And now I feel like he also, he just, I don't know, I feel like it's much more a part of him. Like, I don't have to remind him as frequently. I do sometimes, um, but for the most part, I don't have to remind him to put on his hearing aid. It's more you know, natural for him to kind of, when he comes downstairs in the morning, to grab it and put it on um, and, and that kind of thing. So definitely feel like there's a learning curve for families when you start with something like this, like with anything. I mean, I feel like we also went through this a little bit when uh, one of my kids got glasses, you know, where are your glasses? Put them on. Like, so I think there's you know, some learning curve involved. And it's hard because fewer of us have our own experience with hearing aids. So glasses are something that a lot of us wear. So like we know you have to clean them, right? Because otherwise the kid can't see anything. Um, but we don't know all of these things necessarily about hearing aids unless somebody teaches it to us. And I feel like, at least for us, I felt like that piece of support was maybe a little bit missing. Hmm. Um, in terms of batteries and who, you know, who's taking care of it? Is that him? Is it you? Is it a combination? It's a combination. Um, I ordered, you know, a giant supply of these batteries from Amazon and I have them. So I have like our main stash in a drawer in the kitchen where the hearing aid also lives, like when, when it's in its case. Mm -hmm. Um, I have, I carry around in my purse, um, uh, packet of you know, six batteries. Um, I have in his backpack so that if he's at school and the battery runs out, he's got them in his backpack and he knows where that is. I think in the very beginning, I also had a stash with the teacher in the classroom. And then I was like, this is silly. Like he's got it in his backpack and he's good enough to like come to me and say, oh, I used the last one. Give me a new pack. I think with a younger kid, it would be more on the parent to be on the ball. But like I said, you know, I mean, it's nine and a half already. He's in fourth grade. Like he's able to take more responsibility for some of this stuff. That's great. So yeah. you mentioned that um, you didn't feel like you had total guidance about like the day to day stuff. Mm -hmm. So who, who was your go-to? Did you have a relationship with the audiology team or what, what did you do? So no, I definitely, I even now I don't feel like I have a real relationship with an audiology team. I feel like there's a little bit of a separation and it may just be because of the way things are run in Israel. Um, so I have, I mean, there's the hospital team where we do our testing. Um, and then separately, there's the team, there's the company that provides the hearing aid and all the stuff. 
Mm-hmm. And there's, I don't feel like that there's any, I know there is some connection between them. Like I know those people talk to each other. Um, but I, like, I don't feel that I have a team. Like I feel that I'm the person who needs to manage, like I need to take information from one place and give it to the other. And if I don't stay on top of that, it's kind of going to fall apart. So. Yes. And that's a very important role and why parents are so important. <laughs> it's one of the things that we talk a lot about on the podcast about being an advocate and mm-hmm. it's not just the advocate, it's the manager, it's the transporter, it's the scheduler and or, like, you know, as a parent, you, you become everything. You are the right. team. <laughs> you are the team. No, I think that's, I mean, look, and I was um, lucky, if you want to say that, like in that I had some experience in running that role for my other kid. Um, and so it was a role that I was kind of able to step into once I realized that that was expected of me. I think it just took me a little bit of time to figure out that I needed to do that. Wow. Abby, thank you so much for sharing your perspectives, your, your um, journey with lots of things, hearing <laughs> among them. Um, and if there's anything else you want to tell our listeners, maybe about your, your business or anything else. <laughs> sure. That, I mean, I'll you're welcome to. talk about my business anytime. Um, so while all of this has happened, um, one of the things that has enabled me to be the advocate for my kids that I want to be is I, I, I work for myself. I'm, I'm a freelancer. I've been a freelancer for my entire adult life. And that started when my first baby was born. I have a site at successfulfreelancemom.com. If you have ever thought about writing and making money from writing, you can find decent information there on how to do that. Um, And I'm a fairly accessible person. So if you visit my website and you have questions, it's pretty easy to figure out how to email me to find me on Facebook um, and in all the places and get in touch with me and ask questions. So there you go. Thank you so much, Abby. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I had a blast. Wow. What an absolutely incredible, incredible story. So much resilience. I was so grateful to hear about the ups and the downs because that's really the real journey. The real thing doesn't go according to the textbook. It doesn't go according to anyone else's timeline. You know, it's just real life and whatever we can do. I'm so glad that Amit had the services that he did when he did get them and is using the Baja successfully. And I want to thank you for being here, for listening to the end. I hope that by listening to the podcast, you feel more connected to other people who may be going through things that you're going through and to get information and become educated on the things that are important to you and to your family. I'm here to answer any questions. I'm easily reachable on Instagram, on Facebook, or through allaboutaudiology.com. And I want to ask you for a very big favor at the start of season two. It would really, really help the podcast and it would help me reach more parents if you left a review on iTunes. If you have an iPhone, you can do it right through the podcasting app. Scroll to the bottom of the All About Audiology feed and leave a review of the show. It would really, really mean a lot to me and it would help us reach more parents and grow this community. There's lots more to come in season two and I can't wait to share all of that with you guys. But I also want to remind you that your comments and your reviews and your questions are what this show is about. So please, please do reach out. You can tag me on Instagram at All About Audiology Podcast. Join the Facebook group. Send me DMs. I am here for you and I can't wait to hear how this episode landed for you. Any additional questions you have about Baja or anything else about audiology. 
I'm your host, Dr. Lilach Saperstein, and this is all about audiology.
Why aren't you recording?